You're listening to the Fertility Academy Podcast, Episode 2. Today, we're talking about mastering health basics to optimize fertility. It's going to be a good one, so let's do this. Welcome to Fertility Academy, a podcast where we provide you with information and tools to help you optimize your fertility to grow your family no matter where you are in your fertility journey. We offer interesting, creative, and evidence-based information and give you practical tools to help you get closer to your goal of building a family. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler. I'm a fertility-focused acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner, board-certified fertility specialist, and fertility coach with over 10 years of experience helping my patients build their families. I'm so glad you're here with us. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us today on the Fertility Academy podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler. I've been in practice as a fertility-focused acupuncturist for over 10 years now. I've done thousands of acupuncture treatments for fertility, and I've helped hundreds of people get closer to their goal of building their families. I've made a lot of observations over the years in clinic, but one of the most obvious ones that keeps coming up most often is that people who consistently lean into the very basic foundational health practices tend to get better results, regardless of the stage of their fertility journey. I'm talking about food, sleep, hydration, exercise, all that basic stuff that doesn't actually cost money, but can take up a lot of space in your brain if you let it. And I find this to be true across the spectrum from folks who are in the very initial stages of their first months of trying, all the way through to those who have had multiple losses or multiple rounds of IVF. I'm finding that those basic health principles, if people really lean into mastering them, they tend to get faster and better results, regardless of what stage they're at. Of course, it's a generalization and there's always exceptions to the rules and there's always room for creativity in people's treatment plans. But I find that when people really pay attention to those things, it tends to have profound benefits on the outcome. Now, I'm not saying that perfection is a requirement. I'm not giving you guidance to drive yourself crazy trying to do all of the health things. Health is always evolving and perfection does not exist. So, attaining the ultimate level of health, quote, is as a means to conceive is just not a reasonable or healthy use of your time. I also want to state that these things are not the reason why you're not getting pregnant if you're struggling but they do matter. It's very rare that I meet somebody who doesn't have at least a little room for improvement with these basics. Now, I'm not talking about outrageous regimens where you have to follow an unreasonable diet and meditate for three hours a day and do weird exercises that you hate. When I coach people as a clinician or as a fertility coach, we talk about small incremental changes that lead up to big results over time. It's not about changing everything overnight. It's about showing up every day and just doing the little things to improve your outcomes in the long run. That's really the goal here. So you don't need to expect yourself to change overnight and be perfect. That's just not possible. So today we're going to talk about the four facets of health that are critical to getting your body as healthy as possible. And they're all equally important. If one of them goes unattended, the other facets just don't have the same integrity as they normally would. Now, don't worry, I'm going to keep it small and simple and manageable, but make no mistake, even making these simple changes can add up to really improving your health. And when you're at your optimal health, you're also going to be optimally fertile. So the four facets I've been talking about are nutrition, movement, sleep, and mental health. And we're going to start with nutrition today. So what we eat and drink every day. Food has a huge impact on the quality and integrity of our cells, and that includes egg cells and sperm cells. 
foods can also impact the way our hormones function via the balance of our blood sugar. The other aspect to consider is how some foods can contribute to inflammation and some can heal inflammation, which can also have an impact on fertility. Now, I'm not a big fan of intense and restrictive diets. I also believe that everybody's body has a unique set of foods that will be supportive for optimal health. So that means if there, is, there isn't there is a list of, quote, fertility foods that I'm going to rhyme off here, I always encourage people under my care to explore their own version of the optimal diet, one that reflects their unique culture, preferences, and needs. That being said, there is obviously a difference between eating a diet that's optimal of fresh and delicious foods versus a diet that's including loads of sugar, fast foods, and other junk foods. There's a difference here, and I think we can say that. When people are designing their optimal fertility diet, I like to remind them of a few principles that can lead them in the right direction. So, number one, prioritizing nutritional density. This means choosing foods that will offer the greatest nutritional value and impact. And it means eating foods that are fresh, local, and minimally processed. Another thing to consider is eating seasonally. This can go a long way to ensure that nutrients in your food are at their greatest level. For example, an apple grown in an orchard in the next town over is going to have a higher nutritional value than an apple that's been imported from another country or another continent. Foods that tend to have the greatest nutritional density are fruits and vegetables from every season and color of the rainbow, organic and ethically raised pastured meats and eggs, nuts and seeds, grains in their most whole forms, and a variety of herbs and spices which all have their own unique healing properties. So my biggest piece of information and guidance in this is just to play with it a little bit, but just keep to this idea that you want to eat foods that are local, seasonal, and in their whole form. That's really as simple as it needs to be. It doesn't need to be complicated. We certainly don't want to be eliminating entire food groups. Uh, We certainly don't want to be, you know, worried about macronutrients or micronutrients. I mean, there are definitely some diagnosed metabolic conditions that contribute to, you know, blood sugar imbalance, and that needs to be addressed in a different way. But if you're just looking to generally optimize your health, then keeping it as simple as local, fresh, and seasonal, and organic whenever possible is a really great start and can have a profound impact just by making those changes. So the other impact to discuss when it comes to food and fertility is decreasing inflammation. So the last principle that we just talked about is what you can add to your plate, but this category is more about what you can leave off of your plate. The foods and drinks that we choose every day are all a vote for the direction that we want to go on the scale of systemic inflammation. Each food and drink that you consume will either make you more inflamed or less inflamed. And systemic inflammation has been well documented in research as having a big impact on the way our bodies function. And this includes our reproductive system. Now, if you mainly eat the foods from the list that I've just mentioned, you will largely be eating an anti-inflammatory diet by default. However, people can have individual reactions and tendencies toward inflammations with different foods. Working with a qualified practitioner to determine what these foods are might be a good investment in your time. But just to get you started, I want to make a suggestion that can pretty much be guaranteed to have an impact on inflammation levels in everybody. And that, my friends, is processed sugar. Processed sugar, that being any kind of sweetener as well as candies, cakes, baked goods, bread, sodas, sweeteners, uh, coffee drinks, and more, not only have a huge impact on the levels of inflammation, these foods might also have a negative impact on how your blood sugar functions, which can directly affect how your hormones behave. Cutting out processed sugar alone can have a dramatic effect on your health, so I always recommend taking that first step before getting into specific foods. 
I think another important mention that I don't want to gloss over is alcohol. Alcohol is a very commonly used form of processed sugar, believe it or not, which means that it acts in the way in the body that can affect all four facets of health, sleep, movement, mental health, and the way we absorb our food and nutrients. So before I lose you, if you're feeling a little overwhelmed right now, just stick with me. Remember what I said before that this is not about perfection and perfection is not the goal. My message is not that you can't have a piece of cake at your grandmother's 90th birthday or a glass of wine to toast your friend's engagement. We simply want to make sure that we are having more days that we don't consume these things than days that we do. And this can go a long way to optimizing health. Now, if you're hoping for a more and wondering about looking further into the concepts of fertility nutrition, make sure you stick around to the end of the episode where I'll tell you all about how I can help you get deeper to this. So let's get on to the next facet. Number two, movement. So when I talk about movement, I'm talking about exercise, but I don't like to call it exercise. The word exercise conjures up putting on a tight fitting outfit and heading to the gym or a sweaty spin class or going for a long run. And I'm going to tell you right now that this level of movement is not necessary to support conception. In fact, in some cases, exercising to that degree can actually work against your goals of conceiving. We're going to have future episodes where we go deeper into this concept, but for now, we're going to focus on what we can add that's simple and doable. So in the context of fertility, meaning that your goal is to get pregnant as opposed to training for athletic purposes or losing weight, our biggest considerations are pelvic blood flow and nervous system regulation and all the good brain chemicals that are released when you move your body intentionally. This can be done in a way that's simple and not overwhelming. Finding an activity that you enjoy to do most of the days of the week for 30 minutes is really all you need. If you enjoy the gym or the fitness class, that can be part of your routine and that's fine, but it can be as simple as getting out on your bicycle, doing a light yoga routine with an online video, or just going for a walk. Yes, you heard me. Walking is exercise and it definitely counts. And it certainly meets our objectives of improving pelvic blood flow and regulating the nervous system. You can still get that really nice dose of healthy brain chemicals that are so good for your nervous system just by taking a 30-minute walk around the block. If you do like a more structured form of exercise... I'd like to recommend Pilates to my patients. It's a form of exercise that promotes core strength and pelvic blood flow, but isn't so taxing on your body that the stress hormones are released, which can have the opposite effect of what you're looking for. But you don't have to do that. The right form of movement is the one that you will happily do most days. So moving on. Number three is sleep. I love talking about sleep. I believe that sleep is the missing pillar of health and that we don't talk about it enough. Your sleep habits can have an equal, if not greater impact on your overall health as food and exercise. And I think it's really the missing piece of health that we don't discuss enough in our culture. We talk about food, we talk about exercise, we talk about hydration, and we even talk about mindfulness these days. But sleep just isn't up there with what we consider to be the most important behaviors when it comes to supporting our health. So I want to change that conversation. Now, I live in Canada and my clinical practice is in Toronto, one of the biggest cities in the country. And what I can tell you is that where I'm from, sleep is not a priority for most. It isn't promoted as an important part of health. And in fact, many people wear their lack of sleep and burning the candle at both ends as a badge of honor. Yeah, I can get by in five hours of sleep and I'm fine. But the reality is you can't. Sleep research has shown that in order to be optimally healthy, adults need an average of between seven to nine hours of good quality sleep every night, and that chronically getting less than six hours of sleep per night can lead to a whole host of health problems such as diabetes, dementia, and heart problems. 
If sleep can impact your body to the degree that you're more susceptible to diabetes, which is a disease of hormonal dysfunction, by the way, I think it's going to be safe to say that it can interrupt your reproductive hormones as well. The other consideration is that your body completes certain physiological processes only when you're sleeping. So, for example, when you sleep, you produce a hormone called leptin, which is a hormone that's implicated in egg quality. Pretty interesting. Sleep is also a time when your body does a lot of detoxification processes. Proper detox is vital to hormone balance and health in general, but if you're in a situation where you're using pharmaceutical medications to help you conceive, it's even more important that your body is given the opportunity to properly metabolize the extra body burden that's coming from those medications. So we got to make time. We got to get between seven to nine hours of good quality sleep every night. And if you're having trouble sleeping, it means something's off. So if you're spending enough time in bed, but you're just not able to sleep, that's a different story entirely. So I highly suggest seeing a qualified healthcare provider to come up with a plan to improve sleep. This could be your doctor or it could be an allied health professional, such as an acupuncturist or naturopathic doctor. And they can offer lots of good solutions and roads to go down to help you get better sleep. So let's talk about the last facet. Number four is mental health or more commonly referred to as stress. Now, I want to first start by mentioning that I've seen the research, and the research says that there's no direct relationship between stress and conception. That is, stress does not cause infertility, according to the research. So you can let yourself off the hook, and uh, don't worry about that anymore if you have been worried about it. However, I think it's an important aspect to consider when we think about the physiology behind it. So I want to go back to basics, which is how the nervous system works. If you think about how stress impacts your nervous system, you can kind of liken it to the idea of being a caveman and running from a predator and how your nervous system would turn on when you're put in those stressful situations. So if you're out in the woods, you're doing your thing and a bear comes along, then your body is going to automatically switch on certain processes that help you breathe better, help blood flow go to your muscles and the periphery of your body, that's the outside of your body, to help you run away from the predator. It's going to increase your heart rate, increase your stress hormones to help you get away and help you stay alive. But at the same time, when that part of your nervous system switches on, then there are other parts of your body that aren't as important for survival. So that's things like digesting your food and it's assimilating the nutrients that you eat through your food and making babies. If you're running away from a tiger, it's really not the right time to get pregnant. And the thing is that your body really can't tell if you are upset by an actual saber-toothed tiger chasing you, or if it's just that your boss is breathing down your neck, or you're having a fight with your mother-in-law, etc., etc., etc. Your body doesn't know. All your body knows is that, is that it needs to produce these neurochemicals to help you through the stressful time, and that your body is either in that fight or flight or the rest and digest, and that rest and digest place is where you want to be when you're trying to make babies. Now, it's not about eliminating stress from your life. That's not reasonable or possible. However, we do want to pay attention to how we process and deal with that stress. Do you have methods, rituals, and practices that can help you reset your nervous system so it's no longer in fight or flight? Do you do these on a regular basis? If not, it is an important consideration. It can be anything that you do regularly that's pleasurable, calming, and health supportive. For me, my stress relief is going for walks in the forest and knitting mittens. It doesn't have to be meditation, though it can be. There's so many great apps out there that are free and easy to use and perfect for beginners. You can even find some fertility-focused guided meditations out there, and they're great. 
But whatever your stress management ritual and tool is, the objective is to regulate nervous system and bring it back into balance. So it's not about living a stress-free life. It's not about eliminating stress. It's more about paying attention to how your body reacts to that stress and how you process that stress and how you can kind of process it, do your ritual and move on to other things. So there you have it. That's the four facets of health. Making the relatively small and simple shifts may not have big, obvious, in-your-face results like fertility medications might. However, they are health-promoting and sustainable, and they do add up in the long run. I believe that they're all equally important in achieving optimal fertility, but if you're feeling overwhelmed by all of this information, just start with one. I personally think that food is a really great place to start. Now, I do want to mention a tool that I offer if you want to go deeper with fertility nutrition. I offer an online mini course called Feeding Fertility. It's totally free and can help you explore the concepts a little more fully. To get access, you can find it on the website. I'll put the links in the show notes for you and you can head over to michellecapler.com slash episode two to sign up. So that's going to do it for me today. I hope that you enjoyed the information here and I'm going to look forward to future conversations. Thank you for joining us on Fertility Academy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you loved our content today, please be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with someone who you think might find it helpful. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first to be notified of new episodes. A new one comes out every Wednesday. To keep in touch with us and to continue the conversation, you can find us over on Instagram at Fertility Academy or join us on our private Facebook group, the Fertility Academy Community. Both are linked in the show notes today. Until next time, have a great week.